So last episode, we talked about how games influence instructional design. We got a little nostalgic. We talked about the video games that we played all the way from our youth to present day. And now we're going to talk about educational games, what it takes to make a game educational. We're going to go through some examples of educational games, good and bad, and what it is about educational games that just feels off most of the time or makes them fall short. Is there such thing as a good educational game? For many, they probably equate it to an e-learning module because we've seen bad examples of them and e-learning often doesn't have the best reputation and neither do educational games. But believe it or not, there are some great educational games out there that can foster curiosity, immerse the player in elements that will not only give them the information they need to learn the particular topic, but also foster curiosity for them to learn more. So when we think about what makes a game a game, there's some essential components. And according to Carl Kapp, an expert on games, a game is defined as an activity that's conducted according to rules engaged in for diversion or amusement, often with a score, goal, or other accomplishment as the end result. Gamification, on the other hand, is the use of game-based mechanics, aesthetics, and thinking to engage people, motivate action, promote learning, and solve problems. I did a little bit of digging online and I found that there were people listing the necessary game components as different things, but generally it's there's rules, there's objectives, there's agency or some type of decision-making from the player, there's some driving force that compels the player to advance, and there's some competitive element, whether that be against other people, against the clock, or against yourself. One thing I don't hear enough about when we talk about games is the element of play. Play is the verb associated with games. Therefore, if a game can't be played, is it really a game? Kara, in your opinion, what do you think is it about a game that makes it educational? One, it has to have some kind of element of play that you spoke to a little bit before and with play meaning that there has to be a problem to solve or something to discover some element that has the user interact and engage with the game also I think that it should be something that not only shares content but also has information where that person can get more information For example, in Carmen Sandiego, you would go through and try to find where the vile agent was hiding, and you did that by clues that you would get through the different places that you visited. But one thing that I loved about Carmen Sandiego, and I'm going back to when I had where the USA is Carmen Sandiego on my computer, they had an awesome glossary in there that you could go in, learn more about each state, You could play the state song, you could see the state bird, the state flower, and it was really great. And I still remember some of the songs that they they played for the different states. The song that they played for, I think, Mississippi was this really amazing mashup of this like bluesy, jazzy song. And I can still kind of hum the tune in my head. And gosh, that was probably like 15 years ago when last time that I played it. Games definitely have a way of sticking with you like that. And as somebody who likes to play classic video game music on the piano, I can definitely attest to that. 
Carmen Sandiego is probably one of the finer examples of educational games that people remember. I have fond memories of it being installed and used at school computers. I think one of the reasons it was so successful is it was fun to play through, and the learning elements of it were seamless with the gameplay. It didn't seem out of place to suddenly be learning something, and you still wanted to advance through the game nonetheless. Another example that we've talked about previously is the Oregon Trail. That's another case where, by advancing through the game, you learn stuff along the way. There's been some unintentional educational games, I like to call them, that I've played over the years. SimCity was probably the first. I learned how to be a mayor of a city and the difference between residential, industrial, and commercial zones as a result of that game. Minecraft has been a very popular one in recent years that definitely did not set out to be an educational game, but has been used as such. Um, that's debatable on, on how much exactly, but there's definitely some educational elements to it. For me, Guitar Hero actually turned out to be an unintentionally educational game. Most people criticized it for not teaching you how to actually play guitar, but to play this fake guitar. But as a guitar player, I found out that my rhythm wasn't the greatest by playing Guitar Hero. So for me, maybe it was more like Metronome Hero, but it helped me nonetheless. Kara, what are some other good examples of educational games that you think of? Recently, I've found these two games called The Bell Trap and That Dragon Cancer. The Bell Trap is very interesting because it really focuses on socioeconomic status when you are in a judicial process in the United States. And I think that's something a lot of people don't necessarily think about, but you choose your character based on their socioeconomic status. And based on that, you will find that maybe if you're from a certain socioeconomic status, that it ends up costing you and your family way more time and money than if you're from a different socioeconomic status. And the reason I like that game so much is because I think it's a very powerful statement in addition with that dragon cancer that games don't always have to be quote unquote fun or lighthearted. There is something pretty powerful about a game that has a serious element because that to me is a more realistic representation of the world around us. And even though many of us play games to escape the world around us, Having those factors and feelings of this is actually happening and this is something that I can experience without necessarily being in a situation that it's impacting me, setting up kind of this safe environment for experimentation, I think is really powerful. That Dragon Cancer focuses on something I don't think anybody likes to talk about, childhood cancer and in this game, you are a parent whose child has cancer. And it's, I mean, if you can play that game without crying, you are a better person than I am. It, it really pulls at your heartstrings and I'm not even a parent. So I, I can't imagine what that would feel like for a parent to play it. But again, two examples of great educational games because they shed light on different parts of what a lot of people in our country and around the world experience and not necessarily something that you have to deal with in real life, but it certainly builds up capability to be more empathetic and understanding the world at large by playing both of those games. Those are both great examples, and I'd classify 
both as serious games, which unfortunately is a term that I think has been used more as a justification for using standard games at, in a work environment than games that approach a serious subject matter. I would, and I think a lot of times when I've seen other organizations talk about serious games, it's more about, again, the workplace factor, teaching people in the workplace how to do a particular skill or um, go through a compliance or something like that. But yeah, I completely agree with you. And maybe not even serious game, but maybe again, environmentally realistic or something. Maybe there's another term that could be used or developed to really talk more about these kinds of games. Because again, I think that they're so necessary for us to understand what's going on, not only in our own day-to-day lives, but the struggles that that other people encounter on a day-to-day basis. I think great serious games like this are ones that force you to be empathetic towards someone else in a different set of circumstances, whether that be a parent who's dealing with a child that has cancer or somebody from a different socioeconomic background. There's an example I saw you shared on Twitter not too long ago about what it takes to be an Uber driver. And it's this fun simulation slash game where you're trying to see how much money you can make as an uber driver and it's very difficult to make decisions where you come out ahead making more than minimum wage which is supported by a recent article that came out that says i think it was what mit or some similar organization did some research and found out that the average uh, wage of an uber or lyft driver is less than four dollars an hour and I think if people knew that, they probably wouldn't want to sign up to do that, right? But speaking of research, I have a class this semester that focuses on scholarly perspectives of educational technology. And for this class, I was asked to read this article that was published in the Review of Educational Research, and it was called Our Princesses in Another Castle, A Review of Trends in Serious Gaming for Education. And the hypothesis of this particular article is that educational video games in general would have a positive effect on a broad range of learning outcomes, including engagement, motivation, content mastery, and sustained interest in the subject area. But unfortunately, what it found is that wasn't necessarily the case. The student, and this was, again, a K-12 through setting, but students often loved playing the games in mathematics or science, but after the game was done, they didn't necessarily apply what they learned. So a major criticism of these educational games reviewed in this article were that the game only focused on one little snapshot of the content. It did not focus on the integration of the content into the world around them. So for example, if a student was playing a game that was scientifically based and it focused on photosynthesis, that particular topic would not be integrated into how photosynthesis impacts the world around us and the food chain and oxygen supply of the world. So I think that's pretty impactful and important to talk about because some of these best educational games, again, in my opinion, really foster that curiosity and lifelong learning. And going back to what we do as instructional designers, isn't that the end goal, Joe? It definitely is. And it's a little telling sometimes when game developers can do a better job of that than instructional designers do. 
And I've heard people go as far as to say, I'd hire a game developer over an instructional designer any day as a result of that. Ouch. So moving on to bad examples of games. Let's start with Mario is Missing and Mario's Time Machine for the Super Nintendo. Now these sound like good games by their title, like maybe they're Mario games that you didn't get to play as a kid, but they're actually purely educational games. That's what they start out as, and uh, they're pretty atrocious in, in hindsight. I encourage anyone to go look up YouTube videos about just how bad they are, like a Let's Play video of these games. Then there's Sonic Schoolhouse, which is even worse. So Sonic the Hedgehog was for the Sega Genesis, but for some reason this was on the PC, and it was a CD-ROM game. And it was just extremely weird. Um, The voice acting on it was really bad. It was a set of games that you could play that were educational, but their educational value was very questionable, kind of like, click here and do this type stuff that it's like, uh, okay. Now going way back, there was basic math for the Atari 2600. There really was no element of play in this game. It was just answering math questions. And if you got it right, a correct sound audio played. And if you got it wrong, an incorrect audio played. That's all there was to it. And even for the restrictions of the Atari 2600, this really wasn't much that you could really call a game. And the final example I have isn't really a game, but it's so weird I felt like I had to include it anyway. It was Prince Interactive. This was a CD-ROM game, we'll call it, for the PC. It was similar to Myst in in the sense that you got to kind of walk around in this world, but it was all Prince-related things. And this isn't the, the Prince that we have idolized now that he's passed. This was the weird phase that Prince had where he was a symbol, and it was just this weird promotional material disguised as a game. uh, That Yeah, it's just odd. Again, look up some YouTube videos on that one, and you'll see just how odd it was. So Kara, when we think about these good examples and bad examples of educational games, why do you think so many of them fall short or just feel odd? It's a a great question, and I want to add in probably the worst educational game that I played. It actually came with the Encarta Encyclopedia, I believe, for, I don't know if it's Windows 95 or Windows 2000, and I remember those CD-ROMs were so cool, and I was so excited to get the encyclopedia. There was a game on it called Mind Maze, and in this game, you wander through a castle and you're asked different questions in different topics. And again, I love medieval stuff. So I was really excited about going through this game and the questions were pretty tough. They weren't necessarily just common questions of just everyday knowledge. And you would be given the the question and then the ability to look up information in order to answer the question through the encyclopedia problem was when you hit the button to look up whatever it was in the encyclopedia, it would close out the game. <laughs> so you you might have been curious about what kind of information is needed to answer the question, but every time that you would click to actually read and find the answer in the in the different articles in the encyclopedia, it, it would mess the game up. Uh, never felt. And I don't think that was necessarily inherent to my particular copy. I think I had friends that had the same problem. So I was I was super disappointed because I just thought that that was a real mess. And I love trivia games in general and uh, just just what a waste. But 
going back to your question about why so many games fall short, I think that a lot of it just has to do with, you know, game developers aren't necessarily educators. It could be a bad learning experience. Going back to Sonic Schoolhouse for a second, if you actually watch some of the playthroughs, it's so confusing. It looks like it's one of those 3D maze screensavers from an old computer and you just kind of aimlessly wander through and you don't know where to go or what to do. And I think that has to do with the user experience of the game if they don't know what they're supposed to do in order to get through the game or progress, I mean, it's not going to be something that they want to keep, keep playing. So what about you, Joe? What do you, why do you think they fall short? You know, I think an educational game has to do double duty. It has to be a game and it has to be a learning experience and it has to succeed at both of those. So if it's a good learning experience, but the game side of it doesn't come through, then you get something weird, more like, uh, Mario is missing or Mario's time machine where it's an educational experience, but the game side of it is really lacking. When you get the opposite where you have a good game, but a bad learning experience, then it's just entertainment. Let's unpack that for a second, because I've seen the phrase edutainment and then entertainment. So how would you distinguish the two of those edutainment versus entertainment? So for entertainment, again, I would say that the main focus or the sole focus would be on making it a good game first. Edutainment would be hijacking the game side of it to shoehorn in a learning experience, which may work or may not. I think another reason that these games fall short is people automatically assume that learning something is a compelling enough reason to engage with the game. And I actually remember that Encarta CD game you mentioned. And what I remember of it was that I started off in some room of a castle and I could choose which doors to go through. But in order to advance, I needed to answer some cryptic question related to an encyclopedia entry. And I couldn't tell from being in that room of the castle where I was supposed to go. So I didn't have enough of a compelling reason to answer all these questions. It was like I needed to have a better sense of where I was and what I needed to do to keep engaging with this game rather than turn the computer off and go play Sonic the Hedgehog and the real Sonic the Hedgehog, not Sonic Schoolhouse. I forgot about that, but yeah, that's the exact same game that I was talking about earlier that, yeah, it was not only hard enough to answer the question, but then you'd answer the question, you might go somewhere that was a dead end in a castle. And when you went to the dead end, I think you saw like the jester or something. And he basically told you you went the wrong way. But that I just think that's that's fascinating that we played the same game and we still remember it being bad, but for different reasons. So maybe that truly is a bad educational game. Maybe it gets some kind of an award. Yeah, I'm remembering that too. So if it truly was, you you answer these questions not really knowing where you're supposed to go and you only find that out by exploring and you can only explore by answering questions correctly, that's kind of a, what is it, negative reinforcement for positive behavior, right? Yeah, and it, it's too much for somebody to take on. I mean, is the purpose of a game like that to 
deduct or figure out the correct way through the castle or is the real purpose of the game to basically look something up and answer a question that's two completely different learning objectives i completely blame this game for the reason that we no longer have encarta and we use wikipedia instead good job mind maze you killed encyclopedias I think basically what we're saying is educators aren't game developers and game developers aren't educators. So it's really hard for either or a collaboration of the two to get it right. Games made by educators might not be a good game and education made by game developers might not be a good educational experience. So if we're going back all the way to the Atari 2600 to today and we still see the same kind of stuff, what do you think the future holds for educational games? I think the world is full of endless possibilities. We are now in an age where I think knowledge is ubiquitous and that people feel compelled to give back and share their work and think about ways to hack. And when I say hack, I mean learning hacks. If somebody learns something in a unique way, you'll usually find that way on the internet somehow. So I can see games going in this more of a model that has people that have put things out there and then people take those ideas and run with them and continue to add on to that and basically build a better mousetrap. Definitely. And when we're thinking about the future of gaming and education, I think that could involve some virtual reality or augmented reality or XR, whatever that is that mixed reality. Is that what that stands for? Um, so, you know, the future could be very interesting. I've already pre-ordered my Nintendo Labo, and I don't know if anybody has seen the previews for that, but I think that's so fascinating that here you're combining an element of building, so harking back to Legos before they had a plan, you're, you're building something even though you have a plan with this particular cardboard, and then using what you built, you can interact with your Nintendo Switch to fight monsters or play the piano or shoot arrows. That's pretty remarkable. And I know that like the last, what, five years, we've seen a little bit of that with these amiibos in different games, but this is actually somebody building something and being able to use what they build in a game. I think that's pretty powerful. It does look very promising. I look forward to seeing what the Nintendo Labo experience is. And for those that aren't familiar Uh, From what I've seen from the demo videos, it's cardboard cutouts that you get to basically turn into accessories for the Nintendo Switch. What I've learned from the Nintendo Switch is that uh, my Mario Kart skills are not as good as I thought they were once I engage in online play. Let's unpack Mario Kart just for one second, because I think there is a valuable lesson in educational games that can come from Mario Kart depending on how good you are, and I'm not blaming your driving skills, Joe, in any sense of the word, but I do think that the artificial intelligence in that game makes it hard. The 
Computer players are always formidable opponents. It doesn't matter how good you are at drifting or if you find a shortcut in a particular track, they're going to be on your tail and they are waiting for any little thing to mess you up. And it never fails. They always get the best boxes. So they get the best advantages going around the track and you are always stuck with a banana and a banana doesn't help you win the race. (laughs) No, it does not. But in an educational game, if somebody is going through experimenting, learning the content, and they deal with a computer character that has that high of a level, the experimentation is probably not going to be something that they use as frequently. And it might be a game that they're like, this is too hard. I don't even want to play it. And that is also a bad example of an educational game because you don't want to discourage people from playing it you want to encourage them to play and then also try new things in the game given everything we've talked about today i think it's important for people to keep in mind where they fall on the educator or game developer side of things and to use that skill set to their advantage and not be afraid to work with somebody from the other side of the equation to make sure that any game that they're developing meets both those qualities of a game and also an educational experience. Absolutely. And I think the bottom line is it goes back to knowing your audience. And that's something that we as instructional designers obviously have to do as well. And the reason it's so important to know the audience is one of the most powerful things that games can do is that can help us unlearn something to where we break down exactly what the content is and then go through it piece by piece, uncovering different aspects of it that maybe we hadn't thought about before and setting us up to learn more in the future and figure out what that looks like and how that fits into the spectrum of what we do in our day-to-day lives and outside of that. Certainly. Games have a lot of potential, both in work and out of work. So I think we've covered enough for today on games. We definitely have a lot more we can keep going into. There might be future episodes, but that's it for today. Kara, as a reminder, where can people find you? On Twitter at KaraNorth11 or my website, KaraNorth.com. And I'm Joe Suarez. I'm at Joseph underscore Suarez on Twitter. And you can go to josephsuarez.com for all your Joseph Suarez needs. All right, Kara, I'll talk to you next time. All right, see you, Joe.